G'day folks, Rick Hollis here. Thank you for coming along today. Um, I'm having a very special little chit-chats today. Um, something a little different. I've got my friend Paul Morris from Tech Central. And uh, Paul is my technician of choice when things go pear-shaped. Um, and he's a very well-versed kind of guy in all areas of electronics. And he's who I place my trust in. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Paul Morris. Hey, Paul. G'day, folks. How you go? Oh, and everyone starts clapping. Yay! I'm going good, mate. You can't hear the applause, but I can. <laughs> oh. So, Paul, thanks for joining me today, mate. It's really good to have you here. Um, firstly, I just want to know a bit of a mm. background check on you, mate. How do you know your stuff? How did you learn? My stuff. Your stuff. Uh, Tell us all about the Paul Morris story. Okay. Uh, back at school, I had this interest in electronics and pulling things apart, which mm, wasn't always a good thing to do because <laughs> you always want to work out how they work. <laughs> and then um, my, I got into physics and electronics with my physics teacher, and um, it just took off from there. Went, un, went under his wing and taught me a lot of stuff and um, gave me a few opportunities. And then after school, joined the Air Force, was in the Air Force for six years doing electronics as a ground radio technician. Cool. And that gave me the grounding for where I am today. Awesome, awesome. So... I've always known that, that you uh, had the responsibility of keeping million-dollar airplanes in the sky. <laughs> uh, well, not, the, not the planes, but uh, anything on the ground as far as an airfield goes, communications. Yeah, and what kind of things do you find yourself uh, repairing these days, mate? What, what's your bread and butter? Uh, mainly it's musos I do repairs for, um, mainly because it's the Gold Coast. So yep. all sorts of stuff comes in. doesn't matter whether it's analog, digital, valve, keyboards, pedals, you name it. It's all, all sorts of electronics that come through. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me. Uh-huh. Now, mate, I, I, um, I've been one to actually uh, use my iPad for gigs for many years. Um, mm. And I know that that potentially could have been disastrous for me because I um, didn't – well, I guess I, I do know, but I didn't think of it that the mm. headphone output on an iPad is actually powered – and there's a lot of people out there doing gigs where they're playing backing tracks on their phones, etc. Mm. And, uh, mate, you, you told me that that's one of the number one repairs that you do is people are going to fry the input on their, on their mixers. So tell yep. us why they shouldn't do that. Okay, so for number one, on any sort of mixer or powered speaker, you've got two inputs. It's either microphone input or it's line level input. It's not headphone level. So effectively, it's like screaming at the front end of the uh, powered speaker or mixer or whatever it may be. Um, there's two issues that can cause your amplifier to fail. Number one, if you think of your amplifier as just a box and it's a multiplier, say it's a multiplier of 10, put one in, you get 10 out, put 10 in, you get 100 out, 100,000 out. But what if your amplifier stops at 450, as in watts? So what happens to the other 550 watts? The speaker is trying to push through the front to actually give you the sound, but eventually either the cone fails or um, the amplifier fails because you're frying the cone. Aha. Uh -huh. mm. So it, the short answer for people wanting to know how to not damage their gear who are playing their backing tracks, how mm. far can they actually turn it up before we start frying things? Just underneath halfway on phones, tablets, computers, anything that's going into a mixer or a powered speaker, you want to drop its volume down. So okay, effectively, okay. just under half on your phone. Okay. Now, there was a little bit of a skip as you were talking to me then. I'm not sure whether that's uh, Skype playing up and whether the viewers see, see that. If it gets any worse, I'll let you know, mate. Okay. Uh, mate, 
what are some other doozies? What are people out there doing that um, they could be saving their money that is quite an easy thing to for, be? Yep. Yep. Go for it, mate. Sure. The, uh, for the, um, the guys with the valve amps, mm-hmm. always let them warm up first. Don't let them just don't just turn on the way you go and on the offside as well. You finish your gig, turn it off, let it cool down for a few minutes, and then pack it up from there. Valves okay. can obviously they're running at a very high temperature, and the, the more current that you're drawing, the more volume you've got, then the hotter they're going to get. Okay, so, so that, hot glass doesn't like to be shoved around. I take it. Mm, not a lot and also obviously the element that's inside which gives off your electrons your emission is it's it's got its maximum change in temperature when it's heating up and cooling down and eventually you get that like like your light globes it gets a little bit of a skip in it like a skipping rope sort of thing and you can you can tell that they're going harmonic just by tapping on the globe uh, the valve with the back of your fingernail obviously don't touch with your fingers it'll get very hot but um, you, if you hear that coming through the speaker, then obviously that element is starting to oscillate when you tap it. So you'll hear crackling and carrying on with your, your valves and maybe even a bit of thermal runaway. And okay. also, sorry, obviously... Uh, um, sorry, I was just, just going to ask you, that's the whole lag thing. Uh, just when it comes to valves, consistency in tubes these days. Mm. Uh, I, I am friends with uh, manufacturers some high-end manufacturers, and I've heard them saying that the consistency in valves available these days. Mm. Uh, has that been an issue? Do you find it hard to find matched pairs, etc.? Not hard to find matched pairs. The suppliers that I use have got all the brand names, and they're always burnt in, and you've got a, a burn-in uh, voltage on the bottom of the actual um, uh, packets themselves, so that you know, okay. you've still got to test them anyhow. And yep. also a visual as to literally looking through the glass and seeing if there's any little filaments, uh, elements of uh, mica just floating around because they will cra- cause a crackling and carrying on as well. Okay. So okay. it's, yeah, they're all available. Softex, Pitlano, GrooveTube, RubyTube, Electroharmonic, Messaboogie. Yep. They're all available. They're all out there. They're easy to okay. get. And yeah. Now, um, I had a ripper question there. Oh, it was about standby switches. I mm. have heard people say that the reason there is a standby switch on an amp was because Leo Fender was the first guy to put a standby switch on, on an amp, and mm. it was because he was a, a repairman who needed to get in there and do it a lot. But I've actually heard a few high-end amp manufacturers say it's not needed and that mm. they have tried to release amps that don't have a standby switch mm-hmm. and that they were just getting constant calls from customers saying, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. What, what, what's your take on that? Do you think they're really necessary? Uh, I would say yes, only for the reason being it makes you warm the valves up before you're actually using the amplifier. Um, Same with your car. It's not a Formula One. You don't just jump in and away you go at 100 kilometers an hour. Let it warm up a a couple of minutes and let it go from there. You're talking about technology that's been around since the the 50s. So it might change a little bit as far as the design goes, but ultimately it's still electron emission that creates your amplification. So let it warm up and... I'm just going to check with the viewers. There was a little bit of a skip there. I can see Bernie's watching. He's got a question already in there. Uh, uh, Bernie. Ber- hey, Bernie, is um, is Paul's audio skipping, mate, or is that just on my end? Uh, Bernie actually had a question for us um, that I will ask you before he gets a chance to answer. Bernie's asking about his Nord keyboard, the headphone output, into a powered oh, yeah. speaker. Same precaution? Same precaution. 
exact same. So, Anything that's got a headphone signal out, then you want to drop its volume down to half. Uh-huh. So, think, think of it uh, like there's your microphone level, peak to peak. There's your yep. line level, peak to peak. There's your headphone level, peak to peak. You're trying drop to fit there. a whole lot into a small, yeah. Yep. It's like screaming at the front end. And the problem with that is, especially with amplifiers these days, if you go to not the valve amps but the actual powered speakers, that sort of thing, a lot yep. of the gear these days uses what are called D-class amplifiers. And it's not like a, a quality. It's actually the way it's designed. So you've got A, B, C, D, E, yep. um, A-class a amplifiers. Think of it like a guy with a saw cutting a piece of wood. Yep. If you go to a C-class amplifier, put a guy on the other end as well. So you're doing push-pull. Okay. You want to go to D-class, you take away the two guys and you move the log and keep the saw fixed. So effectively, you're pushing and pulling the power supply. The, okay. the problem with that is with uh, the power supplies, and they use switch-mode power supplies, and they're as light as anything, um, and they derive a much higher current than a really hefty, like, 20, 30-kilo transformer. Um, the problem is they are regulated supplies, so it always keeps a loop going. It's chopping the voltage at 14,000 times a second and feeding it back to create that high current. But in doing so, there might be about 10 to 12 voltages that come out of that power supply that run the rest of the amplifier, the powered speaker. And it's usually those little op amps that go into thermal protect because you're screaming at the front end and it goes, oh, too loud, I've got to cut this down, and it's getting hot and hot and hot. Now, it's got two voltage rails on it that come out of the power supply. And if that chip fails, then it suddenly pulled the power supply right down. And the power supply, in doing its little feedback to keep on voltage out, is going to go, I haven't got enough, I haven't got enough, I haven't got enough, bang. And that's what okay. blows the, the final amplifier. Uh-huh. I've just been told by Jason Veering, hey, Jason, that uh, Paul's audio is fine, so it's just me that it's skipping out every now and then. If, if I... If I ask you something that you've already just said, it's because it, it skipped out a little. Sure. Paul, explain to me what's in terms of how is it that I got a little 15-watt valve amp just back there, this little PRS uh, mm -hmm. that I've lent from my friend Dom, and it's a killer. Um, mm -hmm. How is it that that is as loud as a 200-watt Class D amplifier? I'm sure a lot of people are confused about that. Can you put that into yep. simple terms for us? Wattage is basically current squared by resistance. So the amount of current that goes into the resistance, which is your speaker, your 8 ohms, is how far the cone's going to push. So effectively, that is your wattage. You have average RMS power. You have peak power. Some will call it music power. Um, other companies, they will take the addition of each speaker that's in a box and say, that's 30 and that's 30 and that's 30, and we'll call that 90 as its maximum output, which is not exactly right. Just because each speaker is doing this a, a similar sort of thing doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get 90 watts of power. Um, but RMS to peak is just a formula. Some might fudge the formula. Um, it's just a matter of how they promote what they're advertising. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Cheeky buggers. Because that does catch a lot of people out. Yeah, I see people mm -hmm. who... Um, quite often yeah yeah i've got this 100 watt amp and i'm like hey my little mm. 10 watt is going to kick its ass yeah yep. Mate, yep. is there exactly. what's some other things that, that come through your door a lot that could be quite easily avoided by uh, working musicians but something that springs to mind sure keyboards all the time the most 
common problem with keyboards is dust. And every keyboard, every single keyboard, doesn't matter what brand it is, is made the same way. You've got keys, you're pushing the keys down, there's a space between each key, and underneath those keys are the circuit board. Now, eventually, you don't clean your keyboard, there's obviously dust falling down between that. <clears throat> Add a bit of moisture, and suddenly you've got corrosion. So, ultimately, you want to keep your keyboards clean or keep them covered, that sort of thing. And obviously, uh -huh. drinks away from them. Anything as far as, all you need is just a little drop of something acidic, doesn't matter what the drink is, whether it's, you know, some drunk asking you to play a song, or whether it's yourself, or, you know, you're really hammering the keys, then you want to keep your keyboard clean. Uh-huh, okay. That's, that's Mate, um, I'm just thinking of, uh, just things that I'm always thinking of. Uh, I have a lot of... Um, power what do you call them wall warts coming off a lot of things um now should i unplug those when I'm not, they're not being used is that something that i can just leave are they drawing power if the actual device that it's plugged into just say i've got a multi-effects unit mm -hmm. like something back there um with the unit off is that power adapter still drawing power tiny little bit of power it's it's minuscule but those little wall warts like you're saying Internally, again, they use a switch mode power supply, same as your D-class amplifiers. And you might hear them giving off a, a very high frequency every now and again, and that's them eventually failing. I mean, that you're only looking at a, a, a small DC voltage out with a small current, but ultimately, unplug them. Okay, okay. They'll last longer. <laughs> yeah, right. Because I, I do notice they get quite hot, and there's certain things mm. I think, man, I, I just never turn that on. Should I be unplugging that? So it's mm. something I mm. thought to, to ask you. Mate, shoot another one at us. What, what's another one that comes your sure. way quite a lot? Pedals, lots of pedals. Okay. Um, a lot of the uh, manufacturers like, instead of just using a like a, a double-pole, double-throw, they'll use a double-pole, a, a triple-throw. And it's those pedals, because you've got the three contacts underneath instead of just the two, that will come in more often. Okay. It's, just a, it's under your foot. It lives on the ground. It's got, again, drinks and dust that yeah. will get inside and same cause the same problem. That's so, a big hazard. Mm. Big hazard for musicians is mm -hmm. drinks. I mean, we mm. spend all this money on pedals and we have them on the floor. And I avoided mm. for many years. I know I've been bringing my foot controller, my MIDI foot controller to you for a long time. I've had that thing mm. for 10 to 20 years. I remember years. that beast. Who owned that? Uh, I bought that off Nine Inch Nails. I was quite chuffed about that. Yeah, when they Pretty went good. on hiatus for a while. Um, mm -hmm. So I quite often look at film clips of them playing live. Uh, they get their art director to come up and film one song from on stage, and I could see it, see it clear as day. And I always go, mm. that's mine there. Uh, so I've been using that for the longest time because I would much prefer have a, a MIDI switching system with all my gear back there and sure. just have that on the floor. Um, mm -hmm. And I did ask you to have a look because I did read along the way where Nine Inch Nails, um, a technician there, said that they would pull all their gear apart, wrap the vitals in plastic so that mm -hmm. when Trent went around going, throwing water everywhere, it wouldn't damage anything. Mine didn't yep. have that, so it must have been as they tamed down a little. Yep, yep. But I've True. always preferred to have all my stuff back in a rack and switching it just from something disposable like that on the ground. Yep. Mm. Um, but I haven't for, have been able to do that for the last couple of years. I've just had a couple of stomps, and yet it's just an invitation for punters to come and put their drinks right on top of it. And, yeah, mm. every second gig, it's just swimming yep. in it. Yeah, yeah. So, Although yours was pretty clean inside, as far as the electronics goes, your pedal. My pedal was all right, wasn't it? 
Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. It's because I wear big boots and kick people. <laughs> mm, sometimes you got it. <laughs> sometimes you got it, man. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, that's. I tell you what, there's nothing that brings out the aggro in someone on mm. a stage more than them singing into a microphone and someone bumps that microphone and it smashes them in the face. Mm, yep. I'm a pretty placid guy, but I can think of two cases where I've dived off a stage at someone because they have. I thought they knocked my teeth out. I'm just like, oh, wow. you're not getting away with that, mate. Serious, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> into yeah, the mosh pit. <laughs> yeah, mate. Is there any particular brands that stand out to you as being built incredibly well um, mm. to handle the average mu- mu- musician? Oh, that's a trick question. I almost said magician. Then that's why I stammered. Magician. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of gear around these days for musicians to choose from. Um, I think it's all pretty robust. Um, it's just a matter of what you're actually doing with it, if you're taking care of it. Um, powered mixes, that sort of thing. Everyone likes to keep the dials tweaked where they want them. And like a lot of mixes will come in, you'll, you can see the actual mark on the, the actual metal to say, this is where I want the dial to be. Even if you're not using the dials, still rock them backwards and forwards because they'll get scratchy. Again, it's a dust thing, and yeah. eventually the wiper pushes that dust around and you get your crackling carry-on. Okay. So just a little bit of preventative maintenance, but any of, any of the brands these days are good. It's just a matter of how you're treating it. What about the knockoff brands? There's a couple of brands out there that blatantly <laughs> skip the R&D. We, know who, we all know who we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. one yeah. in particular, mm-hmm. and release pretty much the same product as other people for a lot less because hey we're just going to rip your yep. design mm-hmm. under the hood are yep. they letting are they letting people down is that are they skimping on quality under the hood oh maybe there's a few chinese parts in there um but again it's the same sort of thing it's the potentiometers that play out first yep um the integrated circuits the same sort of thing if you're putting too loud a signal in there it's the other things that pop first but it's it doesn't matter whether it's a high-end brand or a low-end brand uh, they're all susceptible to that aha uh-huh, aha uh-huh. mm. now i've just thought of a little something um in terms of i see people doing quite often i go oh you are going to blow your speakers and mm. that is people turning up their playback device to the point that it's clipping and then mm. therefore they're trying to um throw a, a clip signal through their speakers that's a big no-no yep. isn't it that's exactly. a big no-no yep can you explain that's- why that is sure as, as far as a, a single oscillation of a waveform goes, you have what's called a duty cycle. So where the top of the oscillation and obviously the bottom of the oscillation is the maximum minimum of your voltage rails with a bit of variation. And what you don't want to go is go into that clip area, otherwise you'll get a square wave there. So if you add the distance of the square wave on the top and the distance of the square wave on the bottom over the length of a single wave, if that's more than 50%, which is your duty cycle, uh-huh. You're going to cook your amplifier. Aha. Uh-huh. And I was feeling very um, swish because I was using my good camera rather than the iMac camera, which makes me look like a really bad 90s film clip with the overexposure of the face to uh, hide my ugliness. But my camera pat- battery pack just died, so I'm back to using that one. But that's fine, folks. <laughs> and I did remember to change the name from last night's guest of Scott Kahn, <laughs> which came up before. And funnily enough, Scott Kahn actually commented and said, hey, Scott Kahn's looking good. I was like, oh, we didn't change the thing. So thank you, Scott, if you, if you happen to be watching. Yeah. That was, that was a uh, good interview too. Uh, yesterday, I, I know you're a bit of a fan, mm-hmm. mate. I know you're a bit Absolutely. of a fan. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because you do post, is it every Friday on your channel that you post uh, yep. various things? Yeah. 
And yeah, I do recall when you played some Kids in the Kitchen and I, I, I tagged Scott in that. And um, Absolutely, yes, yes. <laughs> Change in mood. <laughs> Change in mood, it was, it was. Yep. What a career, though. It was great to ask him, just like, how the hell does a 17-year-old kid kid become yep. the darling of Australian pop music in the 80s? And yeah, yep. quite interesting. Exactly. Luck. Yeah, you know, he put it down to a lot of luck, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was the 80s. It was the 80s. It was. Uh, mate, you got some more for us there that... Um, that you can think of that folks could be avoiding costly repairs, quite simply. Oh, gee whiz. I look around, I can see lots of amplifiers, lots of powered speakers. Um, I'll get a lot of um, home theatre systems in for repair. Um, oh. kid, kids with their PlayStations and Xboxes. Yep. Um, the PlayStations and Xboxes live on the floor. Again, they pull in dust. They're plugged and unplugged from the uh, home theatre systems. And you'll find that most of your home theatre systems have got two-pin plug, and so does your Xbox. Now, the floating voltage of both of those, before they're connected, will be different. When you plug that HDMI connector in, both grounds will come to the same. That is a spike. So depending on what's on at any one time, and if you're unlucky enough, you can actually spike the HDMI ports on your home theatre system. The problem with that is that most most of the amplifiers these days, the HDMI port, no, the board, runs horizontal and it has vents at the back and, again, you get dust falling on that and eventually you get a lot of corrosion. Um, same with pedals. Um, the component that's in there, your digital signal processing chip, these boards in your home theatre has the have the um, ADSP chip. They're all different depending on what you're using it for. So do your pedals, they have a DSP chip. And although you can buy the chip, which might be under $10, that whole DSP board could be around three, $400, depending on the amplifier. Wow. So, yeah, there's a lot of technology that goes into the digital signal processing. You can actually go onto Texas Instruments' website and download mm-hmm. the toolkit, and you can design your own digital signals for whatever pedals and whatever amplifiers you want. Okay. That sounds yeah. really good. That sounds really good. Paul... Intermittent faults. Mm. When somebody brings you something, go, man, no, seriously, it's working fine now. But yeah, yeah. when I'm at the gig, yeah, yeah. and I, I have up. actually been, yeah, been privy to you actually running people's gear for a long time until it, until it craps out. Um, yep. I'm going to get you to explain your work method of that while I quickly go grab another battery for my little camera. <laughs> okay. uh, so explain that one. Mate, when it comes to intermittent faults, how do you attack that one? Intermittent faults. First up, before pulling the amplifier apart, you've got to make sure that it is actually failing with the gear that comes in. Um, variations on intermittent faults, you might have the actual unit that's faulty or you might have something else that's causing the unit to be faulty, but you can only go on what you've actually got in front of you. If it is the unit that's faulty, sure, crank it up, get it going and see if you can emulate the same fault without actually going inside first. Once you're inside, then before actually touching anything, measuring anything, do a visual, look around, see what the, the valves are like, if it's a valve amp, it's a, if it's a um, something that's a, a bit older out of the 80s or even the 90s, um, make sure that it doesn't have dry solder joints. Just literally you can touch the circuit board with a wooden stick or something, flex it a little bit and see if it emulates the fault. Sure okay. enough, it, it should show itself. Now... Um Mate, I just thought of something as I was playing then. Um, some good news for us. Mm. Remember there was a certain amplifier that um, 
I was given to do a demo of and it got damaged in transit and the company yes. wouldn't give you the schematics to fix it because they're all very yep. secretive. Yeah. They have gosh, a new Australian gosh. distributor. They have mm, a new Australian distributor. Really? And yes, they do. And my contact there said we are, we're in good with them. So the Excellent. chap that wouldn't, wouldn't give you the schematics, well, we kind of get, get wired, but yeah, mm. I left, left it alone and, and it's come good, mate. So I'm looking forward Excellent. Forward to that. Yeah. That's good yep. news. The, the thing with schematics as well, um, you know, you, you try and help out any musician as, as best as you can. A lot of the companies like to keep the proprietary information to themselves. Uh -huh. um, you, can, you can reverse engineer a little bit if you know what you're looking for as far yep. as components go, if it's got a, a part number of a component. Um, but there are companies out there that will actually put out uh, schematics for people to find, and those schematics the part numbers that are on the resistors and capacitors won't match up. Oh, is that right? Okay. <laughs> yep. Yep. Cheeky and buggers. You, you wouldn't know unless you actually had the the actual schematic in front of you and yeah. looking at the circuit at the same time going, hang on a second. And there was one that blatantly came through. I was like two capacitors, like C23 on the circuit board. And there's yeah. another C23 on the circuit board. Aha. <laughs> uh <-huh>. Okay. <laughs> You know, you, you're trying to find a, you're going down a street, like a street directory sort of thing. Yep. Um, to find where you are, and suddenly there's another street of the same name. Which one do you go down? Uh huh. I can understand the secrecy. Um, mm. Yeah, it would be um, when you've got mm. something like that. So I do mm -hmm. understand that particular company uh, for mm -hmm. not wanting to hand out the schematics on that, but we've got oh, a win, yeah. mate. They've got a new Australian distributor. And uh, before too long, um, I will have a nice, cool little amplifier to be using. Okay, mate, is there some, what, what else uh, is it that, that musos are doing that they should not be doing? Oh, once they finish the gig, a lot of gear that has um, wheels on it, and you'll find uh, um, many amplifiers have got the wheels on it that you can just roll them along. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Carrying on and causing all sorts of issues. Yeah. Um, I see that as a major sort of design error um, that they shouldn't put the wheels on those things and they should make you guys carry them. <laughs> but, you know, okay, they, they might be heavy, but, you know. I've often thought that issues. myself, mate. I've often thought that myself, and I've just ruined my split screen right then, but that's okay. I will work that out. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I've often thought that, just gear being absolutely mm. shaken to all crap. Mm. Yep. Um, okay, got another one for us? I'm thinking, I'm thinking. You think I've, I've got a D-class amplifier here, actually. Oh. Hold it up What's, that, What's that out of? Is that out of that's anything out of, in particular? That's out of a JBL. Okay. Speaker. Yeah. And you can see all that white that's there. Yeah, yep. All that is silicon, and it's over the whole thing. So is, depending on where the fault is, yeah. you've got to try and get all that off. And uh -huh. that's, that's, that's the thing. The, the little op amp that I was talking about that fails? Yeah. That's okay. it there. That yep. tiny little thing there. If that fails, wow. so, it'll put a load on the power supply. So all the silicon, what's all the silicon for? That's not goop as in to try and hide their stuff as some people no. do? No, that's to actually make sure that nothing oscillates because the last thing you want in a D-class amplifier are these very large capacitors becoming loose because then you'll get an oscillation and it's like uh -huh. having a... It's like having a, um, I suppose, a, a pacemaker and somebody whacks you in the chest. Yeah, right. 
Okay, with the, is that anything you say to stop the vibration? I know there's certain guitar players out there who um, have pioneered dipping their pickups in wax. Is that for the same the same thing? Uh, pickups in wax, no. I think that's just to hold everything in place as far as the um, the windings go, depending on how they're wind. Um, the the actual pickups, some are done okay. by hand, yep. which oh, that's an effort. That's dedication. I've got to say, mate, I've got an old student of mine, Henry, who I used to work with at Apple, um, mm. who built a guitar from scratch. I think he bought a, a body and neck, but he built everything else. He actually made his own pickups. And Brilliant. he, I'm not sure how he wound them. He, he, he came up with some contraption. He's a little mm. inventor. He, um, oh, he's, yeah. he's, done, mm. he's done quite well. Um, and his pickups, he copied, he really likes John Mayer's tone, and he made his yeah. own John Mayer style pickups. Mm-hmm. I got to say, it was just an amazing sound. So um, good on him. Yeah, yeah. But let's that, talk cables. Oh yeah, cables. Mm-hmm. Um, not all cables are equal. Some are a ridiculous amount of money. Is it mm-hmm. worth paying that extra for um, the expensive cables? And why the hell are they charging so much for some? Uh, okay, so you want, as far as cables go, microphone cables, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Not so much speaker cables, but microphone cables. You yep. want a good, with anything, you want a good signal-to-noise ratio. You don't want things interfering with them. So as a, a, uh, a lead goes, basically it's coax, and coaxial cable has a shield around the outside, and the shield can look like that or it can look like that. That's better because nothing's going to get through the shield. So if, if you've got a, a loose weave as far as that shield goes then there is the possibility you're going to get interference from, like, uh, fluorescent lights or depending on you're in a, an area where they're using 415 three-phase power and you don't want hum coming onto those cables. Uh-huh. Um, the second thing is um, what they're using as the insulator on the outside, that it is actually, um, it's not porous. Um, you, the last thing you want is moisture getting into that cable because that's when that coax starts to rot and obviously with the cable rolling and unrolling, eventually that will break inside. And some of these cables you wouldn't know until you actually slice them open and you look at the, the nice goldy coloured copper and it's green. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, um, yeah, that sort of thing. You want a, a reliable brand that everyone knows and it's tried and tested. Um, the fancy brands that, wow, you can see through the cable. Yep. Um, those ones you can pretty much guarantee that it's going to eventually look green inside. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking. So, I th- remember having a transparent cable many years ago, like 20 years <laughs> ago, and come to think of it, I think it turned green, and I thought it was just um, smoke mm. mas- machine residue or something on the the clear cable. Yep, yeah. Yep. Um, it- so when it comes to cables, um, mm. rolling cables, I know. There's certain people out there that I know of that will not let you roll up their cables because there's they have their method and they got their technique. Yep. Yeah, unless you do the over under. Do you have a preferred method? How should people be rolling their cables? Should they be tying yep. the ends off at the end once they're done as well? And um, depending on, how, I suppose, depending on how many cables they've got and how uh, consistent they can be at uh, looking after their gear. Obviously, the last thing anyone wants is a cable to break. And um, that's, you know, that's the freak-out point for any musician. You suddenly go to plug your guitar in or plug the, the speaker in, you've got no output. Um, yes, under over, I like. Um, you see some of the, um, the guys who can actually, we're, we're talking like 30-metre leads, and they just want to go throw, and the thing will just unravel, 
yep. without having any problems with kinks or anything like that. So, yeah, if you wind them up right, then when you go to unwind them or lay them out, it's going to be a lot easier. So over-under is the way to go for being able to just throw it out. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. yep. Little cables, I just, as I rotate, I'll just rotate the cable at the same time yep. so that it runs with the, the actual line of the... Um, the, the groove of the actual cable itself so it's nice and relaxed do you get a lot so of that, people who just pull the cables in and out wrong i bet that's mate, a- <laughs> i have people come in with their amplifiers and they'll hand you this rat's nest like okay what am i supposed to do with this <laughs> it's, it's like just spaghetti so literally you un- unravel it in front of them so and and rewind it so they can see it's just a short time to actually take the care to do that and you don't have a rat's nest you don't have that problem aha uh-huh. my mate uh, link has just said that he's left-handed and he never lets a righty wind his leads i guess that would make sense <laughs> because yeah you you're wanting to do it one way yeah mm. totally i'd get that link the other way yep yep yeah good on yeah. Uh, let me see, Paul, what haven't we touched on? Is there any, any questions from you folks in the chat room there? Anything you want to pick Paul's brains on? There's a bit of a lag there, Paul, so it could take 10 seconds before they even hear us on that one. Um, I'm just trying to think of things that I've gotten you to do over the years. Analog, digital, valve, doesn't matter. It's all electronics. Could be audio, could be video, could be UHF, VHF transmitters, receivers. Yeah. Um, wireless microphones. Yep. All that sort of gear. Um, a lot of the musos around have got the old style, maybe still the wireless microphones that came that came out before narrow banding. Yep. Um, which you find that um, your gear's got to be tagged before it goes to places like uh, casinos, venues like that, because the last thing that they want is a broad spectrum uh, transmitter band splattering their new um, receivers that the security are using. So that ah. would be a big. Big no-no. I could see that would be a big issue. Mm, yeah, unless yeah. you're James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was wondering. I, I know that uh, digital. Uh, sorry, not digital. Just wireless technology. Um, mm. A few years back, it was like, well, these are no good anymore. So they still work. It's just that they're illegal. Mm. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Okay. And they'll they'll know that you're using them. There are there is gear around that you can actually. If, if they really want to go to that point, they can just switch it on and direction finding will point you out the crowd going, that's the person there. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that could uh, be like two blocks away. Okay. Jeez. Mm. Mate, I've got a couple of questions there. Um, yeah. Cliff Gold said, what about a tube amp fading after running for 15, 20, 30 minutes? That doesn't sound like an ampli- a healthy amplifier, does it? No. There's a few things that can cause it to fade. <clears throat> if you... Um, find that it's starting to do that and you turn the amplifier off for even 20 seconds and turn it back on and it comes back good but then fades again I would consider looking at what the temperature of the valves are and you might find that they're just getting way too hot that's usually because of an output transformer has got shorter turns so you're driving into a less of a load so it puts more of uh, it's pulling more current out of the valves and you can usually tell that because the top of the valve Here's one we made earlier. Um, the top of the valve here, this black area that you see, is what's called a gettering material, and that starts to strip off. So you can pretty much tell that the valve's getting way too hot. I would look at that first. If there's no crackling or carrying on and it just fades away, I'd look at that first. 
Um, also, you can get high value resistors in the preamp section that will uh, fail under load. High value resistors are like 200 kilos. There's not much carbon in them. And eventually with a lot of heat, that carbon starts to go open circuit, which can cause a valve to go into uh, cutoff. So suddenly you've got no sound there. A little bit of free spray, zero free spray on particular components will point that out. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, Cliff went on to say that it is a recently serviced uh, amp. Mm-hmm. Um, new valves, caps, um, biased as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. He might have to it take it. could be that. Okay. So heat seems to be a big issue, huh, uh, on gear? Yep, absolutely. Um, there was a, There's more marshals coming in uh, probably lately because of the age of them. And um, I had to... Like it, it, you've got to make them warm up first, and we're talking hot, hot before they start to fail. And what would actually occur is between the grid, which is the input, and the anode, which is the output, the fiberglass of the circuit board, as it heats up, would go resistive. So you've got the output feeding the input in a thermal runaway, and the valve gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and you get the same thing occur. So ultimately, you've got to replace the circuit board. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Just literally so, a I know that um, Brian May, who runs his amps, a Vox AC30, mm. every dial on 10, that's a mm. lot of stress on those amps. And mm-hmm. I know Greg Fryer went through and removed a lot of unnecessary uh, componentry to get rid of, because he only uses one channel, so he removed the, the tubes from um, the unused one and just yep. made them a bit more sturdy because running mm-hmm. them like that, they're going to blow. Um, so yeah, I figure heat must be a, uh, a big issue. The actual, uh, just, just, a, just a, by the way, those, the Vox series in mm-hmm. their transformer, they actually have a thermal fuse inside the transformer. Oh, so okay. If, and the valves, the upward valves are right next to the transformer. So ultimately if they do get too hot, um, that little fuse, that thermal fuse can go open circuit because uh-huh. it's, it's just drawing too much current. Okay. Mate, is there any particular nightmare ramp for you to work on? I have heard of certain things. Mm-hmm. I think I think mm-hmm. I heard way back in the day that the old PV Classic series was a great sounding amp, very earthy, but talk to yep. repairmen and they're just going to say, oh, mm. <laughs> is there certain amps that, um, or not just amps yeah. that we're limited to, mixes, anything that you repair that you go, oh, not one of these. It's going to take me all day just to pull the bloody thing apart. The PVs... Um there's a whole uh, range of circuit boards that were designed and it's literally, the circuit board is so large that over time, and we're talking stuff out of the 70s again, you'll mm-hmm. get dry solder joints. And these are the um, solid state amplifiers. And when those ones got dry solder joints, they would blow out output transistors. And you think of a transistor like a tap with water coming through. You can't stick your thumb in the hole to stop the water, but small variations on the handle can adjust a large current flow. Now imagine that large current flow going up through the handle. Whatever else is attached to it is going to blow as well. So one comes in, you can be guaranteed it's a concertina of parts that have failed. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, now Paul, a um, bit of an off-topic thing, but uh, people might not know that you're actually a gymnastics coach and you've been uh, <laughs> right into the whole gymnastics thing for a long time. And... Um, Tell us a bit, a bit, about, a bit about that, mate, because you, you are flipping Paul. <laughs> Apparently so. Flipping Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been doing that since I was about 13. 
um, yeah. went to the Brisbane YMCA. Actually, a couple of uh, friends um, who are possibly listening to this now, um, Ken Meredith uh, and Randall Redhead. Um, Ken's and I'm just going to jump in there. Randall Redhead is Randall from the rehearsal rooms at, at Big Note Productions, and I know a lot of my friends rehearse there. So, yep, yep. People might not be aware that Randall is a flipping idiot as well, huh? Absolutely. Yep. You're everywhere. We used to train together. We used to ride down the, the stairs on the store, at the Story Bridge, literally with our bikes, going down the stairs there. And yeah, we went. He ended up um, going to the Institute of Sport, and um, along with uh, Ken, who actually was in the Seoul Olympics, and wow. um, that, at that point I joined the Air Force, so didn't catch up for a long time until Randall came in the shop with a repair one time. So it was yeah, a little bit of a reunion there, but still yeah, trying to get right. you to the gym to gymnastics as well and teach you a few backflips. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool. Now, we just got a little bit more from Cliff there just about that, that problem he was having that amp. Uh, yep. And he's just asking how you deal with current valves in old amps, and it's a mess of boogie that he's talking about. Is there any um, anything you need to accommodate, Any anything you need to do with? Generally, if it's a mess of boogie, I'll go with mess of boogie valves. Um, keep it um, the way that it was built instead of trying to upgrade to different valves. Um, so that way it's standard throughout. The Mesa Boogies have got their own proprietary circuitry when you go through like the um, quad channels. Um, switching between channels, the last thing you want is the doof doof of the speaker as you're switching channels. So they've got about 20 MOSFETs on the circuit board that, uh, or more <laughs> that block that signal as you change. And all you need is one of those to fail and MOSFETs don't measure the same as a a standard transistor, so you've got to know what to look for as, as far as when they're not doing what they're supposed to do, switching those signals. And, yeah, you just need one to fail and suddenly you've got no output from anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everything's muted. Uh, but, yeah, I'd go with, I'd still go with the Mesa Boogie valves and keep it the way it was designed because they are good, they are well designed. Cool, cool. I hope that answers you, you there, Cliff. Now, Paul, um People may see in the background you've got a few synthesizers and stuff, and as long as I've known you, you've always had you know, like a Yamaha SY series. You've always had a lot laying around. Yeah, yeah. It was a yeah. SY... 99. Yeah, you had the big one way back when. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah You're yeah, smaller exactly. now. Yeah. Um, so how long have you been into the synthesizers and uh, piano uh, and stuff, mate? Is that a, an early love for you? Absolutely. Um, the synthesizers, um, probably into the 80s obviously when all those bands started doing the synthesizer thing um because i was into computers so much i built my home my own computer I actually won it from school but you had to put all the components together piece by piece it had two kilobytes of memory and wow. um yeah yeah that was a lot back then um and that's what got me onto the the digital side and the first thing that brought me into synthesizers um, the Amiga 500, somebody had a digital sampler, and this was a new thing, 8-bit digital yeah. sampler. And suddenly uh, there's John Farnham, the intro to You're the Voice. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's just all programmed instruments. It's not actually sample. He said, wait for it, wait for it. And then in he comes with singing You're the Voice, and it was just okay. like blown away. And, yeah, it's just uh, the days of the Commodore 64s and the Amiga 500s, the 2000s, all that sort of thing. MIDI was the thing. 
especially if you had your synth- uh, a synthesizer. And then it was just um, onwards from then, virtual instruments, all sorts of stuff. The things you can do these days is just incredible. It is, isn't it? I um, I started fooling with all that stuff in the late 80s. Um, I was an Atari guy, 1040 STE. Um, I was in high school and a friend of mine was going to the conservatorium doing oh, yeah. music technology. Mm-hmm. I let him rack up the hex debt and he would just tell me what he was learning when it came to programming MIDI and the like. So mm-hmm. I was using Notator Logic back then. Oh, yes. Um, mate, the way you do it now compared to back then, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier, very much. You're a Logic man, aren't you? Um, come and go. Uh, yep. Pro Tools I'm most, most comfortable in. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, when I worked for Apple, I was a le- level two certified Logic Pro and I was teaching people. Mm. I did find there were certain things in Logic that took me years of using it to find that is just very apparent in Pro Tools and it's just a button push away and, and vice versa. Yep. And I yep. tell people all the time, um, they all do the same thing, uh, just different ways of going about it. Mm. One will be really easy to do something, the others, yeah, yep. back ass. So. Um, yeah, there is still some things. If I'm just doing a pure MIDI project, uh, Logic's what I'll, I'll reach for, yeah. Yep, yeah. You're, yep. you're a bit of an Ableton? Is that what you're Ableton, seen? Yep. yep. Ableton yep. and Push, yep. Love them. Yep. like the technology. I like what, you, what they give you as far as the software goes to be able to design your own, uh, which is just a whole new level. Um, it's good to be able to have that ability, that it's also a steep learning curve, but it's lots of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Now, just something like Ableton, which you can drag pre-made loops into and it time stretches it automatically. That mm-hmm. was not a thing until the time late stretching. 90s, I reckon, Sony Vegas or something was the first thing. No, Acid. Acid. Acid, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I can remember when <laughs> I first a saw a program that did that thinking, this is cheating. Come on, man, mm-hmm. I've got my hardware sampler and I've, I've got this loop yep. and, oh, you, you want the whole song a bit faster? Oh, fuck me. The whole, all my loops are going to be out of time. And, yep. But you know what? Yep. There was actually a sound. Everything yep. now is so sample accurate when you import mm-hmm. all those. That, you know, that bit of a drift and if you grabbed a, a sample from this CD and a sample from that CD, just those time discrepancies built up to form mm-hmm. a, a pocket, uh, mm-hmm. whereas yep. now everything is so grid regimented. Yep. Yeah, there's so much you can do with the uh, what they're doing with samples these days, and the, the um, installing the nuances of instruments into the keyboards. So, um, and you can't. It, it's hard to tell the difference unless you know what to listen for. Um, so you might have like um, a trumpet instead of playing just singular note, you hold one note and then go to the next, and then it'll slide to the next note. So little nuances like that, it's just incredible. It's all down to programming these days. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, So I can remember back in the day that if you had a, key- a keyboard that had aftertouch, that was a big thing mm. to be able to play the note and then later on, after, after the fact, add. But now you've yep. got keyboards that actually have where you can slide Rolly. Mm. Up, and down, up and down the actual key for expression. And they've got mm. a real rubbery feel. I, I don't pretend to be able to play mm. keyboards very well. Yep. I program okay but i can't play for shit and just feeling one of those i've seen them like at jb hi-fi and the like and mm-hmm. that mm. feels weird but yeah yeah midi 2 a little bit mm. midi oh, 2 yeah. yeah yeah you heard anything on that like cuz i know they've been working on that for a while midi as a as a protocol has been around since what 82 or something uh, at least right. 
yeah. at least, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. really old, really old. And I know they've been talking mm. about MIDI 2 for a long time. Have you heard any updates on that? Um, I've heard updates on MIDI 3, but MIDI, MIDI 2 has been around for a while. Yeah, yeah. It's um, MIDI 1, MIDI 2, general MIDI. Um, back in, way back in the day, you could, you only had the ability to daisy chain 21 instruments together, loop to loop to loop. Mm, yeah. I suppose not that you would actually do it. It depends on how rich a sound that you want with like 21 DX7s in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Being the 80s. Um, but there's there's so many things now that they're putting in via programming that um, it's just the next level and the next level. I suppose uh -huh. they've got to go somewhere. Uh -huh. I'm just scanning through the questions here. I found a, a new one there. Uh, will the original valves in an ART Pro Audio, Art Pro Audio VLA2 do the job or is it worth investing in better valves? Are they the original valves that are in it? If the yeah, original I valves, it so. doesn't hurt to upgrade them. Yeah. If they're getting yeah, to that age, yeah. you can generally tell um, when the valves do actually start to fail. Um, probably a little bit hard to see, but the tip Let me of just that one. a shot there, mate, so we can get that. And there you are. Yep. The tip of that one has got a milky colour on it. You can just yeah, see yeah. that. Yeah, that means it's taking on oxygen. So eventually, it's going to fail, and you can usually tell via a, a little scurf mark that's around the base because you're looking at steel pins here and glass that's going to eventually fracture around there if it's getting way too hot. So effectively, yep, that says that that's going to be taking on oxygen and will eventually fail. Okay. So, yeah, it's, if you want to keep your amp going, then I'd say, yeah, time for an upgrade on the valves. Uh-huh. I'm going to be honest, I haven't really experimented with different um, sounding valves, valves. tubes. Um, just so the Americans know out there, when we say valves, you do know we're talking about tubes, right? <laughs> it depends what, type <laughs> of the, what side of the pond you're on. Vacuum tubes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I go back and forth depending on who I'm talking to on, on the valve and, and tube thing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I wonder. I wonder. Do they know that um, some of the manufacturers, the element inside, they will actually run it at a lower resistance. Consequently, it will cause a greater emission, electron emission within the valve, which gives you a nice, rich sound. But it does run hotter and will eventually burn out quicker because of that. So, oh yeah, really rich sounds won't last. Okay. There's only a couple of brands that do it. Folks in the chat, I'm just checking because, um, Paul, as you're talking to me, you do sound like Max Hedrum. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a few things that you know, I'm filling in the gaps because it will just hang up. But that's not on the broadcast, is it, folks, in the chat room there? You, is Paul sort of sounding like Max Hedrum? Max. No, Max. No. Paul, what's your favorite synthesizer, mate? Favorite synth? Mm, at the moment, one I don't have. I'm still waiting for it in the country. And that's yeah. a Jupiter X, Roland Jupiter X. Jupiter X. Yeah, I've got okay. the Jupiter 80. And back yeah. in the day, like back in the 80s, when the uh, when Roland brought out the Jupiter 8, I couldn't get into brushes. That was in Melbourne. Fast enough to see this amazing machine, an eight-voice polyphonic synthesizer, and wasn't prepared for a $7,500 price tag on it. Ah. But they had a Jupiter 6 next to it. <laughs> so I got that instead. Um, okay. I'm a Roland fan. I like the Nord sounds as well, the red keyboards that you see. I love um, Nords, yep. Mm. 
if you're into uh, if you want just straight piano sounds, then you've got the choice or oh, plenty of choices: Casio, Yamaha. Um, you can go the Rollins as well, but I, I do love the, the synthesizers sounds within the Roland. What you can do, and their services second to none. It's amazing. Uh huh. But I'm just thinking, uh, just things that I'm not clear on that I might want to ask you. Um, mm. Go from for time it. to time. Um, the output on a keyboard is that about the same mm. voltage as what comes out of a guitar? Like, should they be feeding different inputs or around the same? Yeah. Yeah, the output is line level coming out of a keyboard. The perfect yep. example of that is. Um, usually a keyboard's got a headphone signal, headphone socket on it as well. Yep. Just take take the headphone socket out and plug your headphones into one of the left or right line outs, and you will hear the difference straight away between headphone level and line level. It's only going to come through one ear, but it'll tell you straight away what the difference is. And everyone that I've done it, shown it to, has gone, oh, wow, yep, big difference, because line level to headphone level. Uh-huh. Cool. That's, cool. That's the thing that you're doing by putting in too hot a signal. Yep, yep. Uh, Linko's just told me my, my mic was a little bit hot and I just backed it off the touch. It was like that when I sound checked yesterday with Scott, but then I turned it down too much and I listened back. No, no red lights. I think that's okay. Verge of. Cool. Good job. Paul, anything else you want to add in there, folks? Is there anything you want to ask Paul that you might not be clear on? Um, I don't pretend to know. A hell of a lot of stuff about electronics. That's why I have a Paul Morris. <laughs> <laughs> I try and keep the explanations fairly basic so people can understand them. Yeah, um, yeah. There's there's a lot of stuff as far yeah. as the technology goes with um, the circuits and how they're designed that you don't use you don't use on a daily basis as a technician. Um, it's just like even back in the day with the on the Commodore sixty four side. If you wanted to find out if a chip was faulty, stick your finger on it. <laughs> if it gets hot, <laughs> replace it. Okay. <laughs> so but if you, it, it was literally. Have you ever copped any nasty shocks? I'm sure you would have along the way, yeah? Yeah, yeah. This, um, I remember doing a repair on a circuit board. Again, this is in the, the early days. And that instead of the capacitors being with the plastic shield around, they had a metal can around the outside and wasn't even thinking about those capacitors. I've removed the circuit board, and the capacitors can still hold a charge. And I copped it and literally oh. threw, threw the circuit board across the room. Oh. So that was another repair. Yeah, I had to repair the circuit board as well. Um, that was a, a bit of a bad one. But, you know, it's, I suppose every technician's had a, a shock at one stage or another. If you're doing anything with electronics and you want to save yourself, don't touch it with an open hand. You can use the back of your hand. Mm-hmm. You touch with an open hand, you could crash glass onto it, mm-hmm. and then um, you can't get away. If, you t- if you're doing anything with electronics, no rings, no chains. Um, one of the um, videos that they show you, the training, <laughs> training videos when you join the Air Force, is about um, guys arc welding themselves to something that they've been working on, and they're not found till the next day. <clears throat> Charred mess sort of thing. Um, oh, yeah. So whenever you're doing any testing, rings off one hand in your pocket because the last thing you want is to go from here to here when you're that is really a shot. really funny because uh, I'm a big fan of a, a show Tone Talk on on the internet here and um, friends mm-hmm. with with Mark and Dave, and they had John Sir from Sir Guitars and Amplifiers on there, and he had a funny little story, mm-hmm. um, and I know Mark actually had a picture of this. He had a a, a little man that he used to have hanging off a, a chain 
holding some coconuts or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. But he leaned over and it caught something and it threw him across the room and it blew the balls off the little man on there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, There is a a couple more questions there. Um, Let me see. Yep, audio levels in there. Paul should speak more about impedance to the audience. So important. Mm. Tell us about impedance. Impedance matching. So you've got your own amplifier, valve amp again, with your head, and you've got your own speaker. You want to make sure that your amplifier, if it's switched, if it's got a switch for ohmage, 8 ohms, 4 ohms, 16 ohms, it matches your speaker. And no guesswork. Ultimately, if you've got a, if you, your head is expecting a 16 ohm speaker to be plugged in and you're plugging in an 8 ohm, as far as wattage goes, current squared by resistance, you've just halved the resistance, which means you've doubled the current just by putting in a lower ohmage speaker onto the head. So you've always got to make sure that the output matches um, whatever the speaker is that you're hooking up to it. What if you can't? I have been in situations where I've had like a, a 16 ohm cab, but mm-hmm. the head only says four or eight. That's fine. That's fine. It's if yep. it's rated at say a 16 out, but your your cab is a four. That's bad news, yeah. You want if, if the speaker is lower than what the amplifier is putting out that's a danger. So you can have the amplifier set to 4 ohms and have a 16 ohm speaker on it, just means you won't get the power out of it. But if you go the other way, it's set to 16 ohms and you're putting a 4 on it, then that's going to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always cool. wondered about that. And you know, I have actually, you mentioned about just the volume difference. With solid state um, power amps, I have hooked up different cabs and known that, oh, that one's an 8, that one's a 16. And there is a big difference in volume. For yep, sure. yep. A lot of the solid-state solid gear these days, you can take it down to two ohms. It's got short-circuit protection, and it's it's got monitoring so that you're not going to blow either the speaker or the amplifier. There are still faults that can occur, but, yeah, literally some of them can go down as low as two ohms. Cool, cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think I'll always check with you before I go doing something like that. Just <laughs> shoot your quick message. Paul, you're sick of me Just yet. In case. Yeah. yeah. Nah, never, never. <laughs> How many years has uh, it been? 20 years? Uh, mate, I've been dealing with you since the 90s. Like, it mm. would probably been mid-90s. I was working at Music Express, Music Plus, and you yep. were, were our preferred rep- repairer back then. Every store I've worked at, actually, um, mm. over the years. I just yeah. went into Gold Coast Music today, um, and I know Stewie. just... Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. They're just lovely chaps there. My girlfriend yep. actually commented just as opposed to another store that we frequent who kind of look at you as if to say, uh, you're here to waste our time again. Those guys are actually very genuine, genuinely yep. happy to see you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Gold Coast Music. Love the guys. Yep. Stu's absolute yep. champion. All the stuff there are. Yeah. Two thumbs up for Stewie. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm just thinking, mate, it's one of those things you, you'll be talking about something and I go, oh, that's a point there. And I didn't get to write There's that a good one. one down. Whatever comes uh, to mind. I'm thinking we were talking about speaker cabs. Speaker cable. Mm. Not everyone always has a speaker cable handy. And speaker cables and guitar cables are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And you can potentially damage your speaker or the head. What's mm. going to be more at risk by using a guitar cable? And why, why are we well, going to be damaging not, stuff? 
you, I don't think you'll damage the speaker, but you'll damage the head if the cable shorts out, if it literally melts. So let's say you've got a 100-watt, say you've got a 100-watt amplifier, and let's say just for the calculation, instead of 8 ohms, we'll call it 10 ohms. So that means you've got 100 divided by 10. You've got 10 there. You take that 8 ohms and drop it to 4 ohms, if you've got the wrong speaker, then that's gone to 20 amps. Um, for the sake of the calculation, it's not exactly correct, but for the sake of the calculation, you've just doubled the current. Now, let's say you've got 20 amps going through a microphone cable. That thing is going to cook, absolutely cook the, the insulator inside, and eventually it's going to short out. So don't use microphone cables as speaker cables. Okay, so you get that, folks. Do not, we repeat, do not use guitar cables as speaker cables. Uh, mate, I know what I was going to say before. There's a couple of stories that spring to mind when I think of Paul Morris. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one, well, you said the magic word that, that sprung to mind, and that was ampage. I can remember back around 2000, I was... I was actually singing in a little band that I had. I was playing guitar and singing. It's actually mm. original act where I did everything in the studio and we went out and we used all the electronics live, backing tracks and stuff. Every time I went to sing into a microphone and my nose or mouth touched that mic, I was getting a shock. Mm. So much to the point that I can remember doing a cover, a cover gig the night before and waking up and my flatmate was playing in the band with me. I had a scab on the end of my nose. That's how bad I was Ooh. copying it all night. Hey, put wow. a windsock on it. Yeah, that's fine until you spit on it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's hold yep, a wet yep. sponge to your mouth. So, yep. and I was coming to you. I was bringing my rack, pedal boards, mm -hmm. and everything. Going, Paul, what is it? We're trying, mm -hmm. and I always I can remember you saying, "There's there's something else. You're not bringing everything in. There's something else in the chain." I'm like. I only this extension lead, my power extension lead, and you. I remember you putting the meters on that, and just you turning to me and looking at me, <laughs> and um, yep. saying, "Mate, you've been copying two forty low low ampage." And I mm. always remember when you told me this was a long time ago, and you said it's the ampage that kills you, not mm. the voltage. Yep, yep, exactly. So you is there other people as stupid as me out there? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. The I'm the flipping idiot. A lot of um, a lot of gear that you know people try and buy, or they can buy a particular brand off eBay that they can't get here in Australia, obviously because it's released at different times or we don't have a supply here in Australia. The problem is that um, it might be using a two-pin plug, not a three-pin plug. Consequently, it's not earth the same. So if you've got an amplifier um, which is made for Australia, it's got an earth point on it. And that amplifier is connected up to your guitar. The guitar's got an earth on it. You're touching your fingers on those that earth, all right? So you are part of the earth. If you've got a, um, a mixer or something else that's only got a two-pin plug and the microphone has got that metal over the top of it, then you are the earth between that mixer and the earth on your powered, uh, on your guitar amp. So you are making the conduit there. So as soon as you touch your fingers on the guitar, you touch the lips on the microphone, you've got to make that level. Remember how I was saying between the, the TV and your PlayStation, plugging them together on the HDMI, that spike between the two? Mm -hmm. That's what you're receiving. 
that same thing. It wasn't pleasant, mate. No, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason I'm not a singer in a band, and that was probably one of them, isn't it? Ah! <laughs> that Stop caught me every singing. time. <laughs> the other story I wanted to bring up, I and this was a good 10 years ago. Mm. I was actually, I was on a date. I was on my way to a date. I had dinner with a, with a lady, oh, and yes. I was on my way to a recording session after the date because um, band I was re- I was producing at the time scored some studio time at the uh, university and we thought we'd go use use that so yep. this particular lady came along and then we're at the the lights at Southport Bridge about to go there and it conked out and it wouldn't start again and I'm getting out there we're in the middle of the road I get out and I start pushing this car little skinny me while the lady was trying to just steer it and I'm just like Got all these people just tooting their horns, like, get out of the way, you fucking idiot. And it's like, what, really? You're just going to toot your horn? They'll come and give me a hand? And just mm. randomly, this chap comes beside me and just head down, starts pushing. I'm just like, didn't even look at each other. We're just pushing. Yeah. Just go, yeah, thanks, buddy. Get it going. <sighs> Pushed her off the road. And then I turn, and it's you. Yeah. You yeah. had no idea it was me. I had no idea it was you. That was a classic. I think that's just testament to your character, mate. That um, <laughs> while everybody else was tooting at me, saying, "Yeah, get off the road, you idiot," who comes along and gives me a hand? But good old Paul. That was a, that was the funniest thing. I saw <laughs> saw was. this guy in the middle of the highway there trying to push his car, thinking, "Oh no!" And all these yep. other cars going by. So, that, yep, I'll just pull up the side, come back and push. And it wasn't at all. Ha, it's Rick. <laughs> I, I've been that guy before, mate. No one wants to help. They they just want to toot and. Yep. Um, yeah, so I was very thankful for that. Um, I've had that. I broke down last Ooh. week. I had a session booked here. Louis Shelton was going to come around at five o'clock, and we we're going to um, just a quick little video job for him. Mm. Four o'clock, I ran out of fuel. Oh no! I'm walking to the service station to go get me some fuel. Just thinking, oh, you idiot! You got plenty of time. We get there. I'm going to call from Louis. Hey man, I'm going to be a little bit late. I've broken down. I'm waiting on a tow truck. It's just like. What's the chances? Guess what, Louis? <laughs> Me too, mate. Let's do it later at seven. I'll be home by then. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got Louis' number. I'll give him a push too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mate, speaking of Louis, I know, I know he's been to get some things uh, repaired with you. Has there been some famous faces come through? I, I do recall recently oh, yeah. that you had. You, you share some people that may have come through. Oh goodness me. Um, let me see. Uh, Brian Ritchie. Boy, is that the bass player from the Violent Femmes? Yep. Yep, yep. yep. I remember you he telling came me about in, that. just like, this guy's here. He's standing in front of me. <laughs> um, Tiff from Bardo. Okay. Remember the band Bardo? Yep, um, yep. I had, um, uh, there's one regular that comes in, Easy Die. Aha, uh-huh. I used to work he, with his, his daughter, Bianca Die. Oh, yep, yep. He's an old rocker. Um, I had uh, some guy bring in a, um, a turntable. This was ages ago now, and carried it out the car for him. He'd be in his 80s, I suppose. And he goes, oh, I must tell the band about you. And I, I just didn't bite straight up. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, let's just say, okay, well, who's the band? He goes, in excess. <laughs> <laughs> John Ferris's father-in-law. Oh, very cool. So that that's a few. Um, I was checking out the um, Gold Coast Music Awards last week and yeah. uh, just having a little bit of a laugh because that's pretty much all of them is the the A list is 
have all been in for uh, stuff for repair. That was all your clientele, huh? Yeah, Pacers, uh, Benny Williams, Electric Lemonade, um, Jules at Hussey Hicks, um, San May, um, she's an up and coming. Okay. A um, couple of drum machines for Amy Shark. Yep. Yeah, so they cool. all come through at some stage. Cool. Uh, Amy's music director is my friend Brad. I'm going to get him on for a bit of a chat. And I just saw there was a comment there from Nerdhound saying, how do you feel about load boxes regarding reamping? I'm going to let you answer that. And I'm just going to let you know, Nerdhound, that I actually have the president of Two Notes on here next week, Guillaume. Um, and we're going to talk about the whole Two Notes torpedo range of load boxes and the wall of sound plug-in, etc. So Nerdhound... Tune in. I think I've locked in next Thursday with Guillaume. I'll have to double check, but I will generate a, um, a thumbnail and put it on, on the social medias. So, Paul, load boxes. Uh, love them, so long as they're used properly. So if you know what you're doing, um, mm -hmm. that's fine. Um, but you, you'll find a lot of guys, um, they'll mainly use it as a, a, an extra dial, not really understanding what they're doing with it. Um, but great idea. Great idea. Uh -huh. um, not a lot they'll come in for repair which is a good thing um, as long as they don't come in for repair then they must be worth um, their weight okay so I actually have a um, a Fryat power station just here if folks can see that's uh, a load box uh, with a power amp built into it so mm. I could basically either tame a really uh, loud amp like 100 watt crank it into that and then reamplify mm. it quietly or the opposite i could run that little ac10 there which isn't quite loud enough to be playing with a band i could run it into the load box on the fryette and then um make it louder um and i just see my friend gabor is in the chat from the super fun awesome happy time pedal show i can only know what it's called when i read it uh <laughs> uh he's saying guillaume his stuff is awesome and it, and it totally is i'm really um mm -hmm hoping to get myself myself the Captor X box real soon, which for folks who don't know what that is, um, it's a load box. They're only about so big. Load box with built-in um, speaker impulse responses um, with pretty much their wall of sound plug-in and all dialable from an, an iPad, so you can adjust mm -hmm. it all. Um, yeah. So Nerdhound is saying, and impulse responses. I, I can say I've fooled with impulse responses uh, quite a lot, and it is by far the closest thing to micing up a real speaker. Mm, uh, mm. Most modelers that don't use that, it just doesn't sit in the mix right. And yeah, uh, yeah. Any thoughts on impulse responses? Is that something you've ever played mm. with? Not, or is that's not, not really your not world? A lot. Well, no. yeah. Anything, anything electronic. It's just um, if they don't come in for repair, then it's a good thing. Uh, people yeah. are doing what they're supposed to do. Um, a lot of the studios I do repairs for. Um, obviously, they've got high-end gear, and it's the, it's the quality stuff, so it doesn't come in for repair. Maybe a bit of TLC, but that's about it. N never do they fail. Yeah. So you think there is truth in in the the old adage that um, it's all about cheap gear is going to fail eventually, or yeah, better part, Again, pay more yeah, for parts. Depending on what how you how you use it as well. Um, obviously, if you're going to buy cheap gear, and you can tell when it's cheap gear because when it comes in, it's just got dirt all over it, <laughs> so it's not looked after. So, you know, if, if you're going to buy something expensive, people will look after it more. 
um, or it may not see the light of day. They'll just keep it within their own environment, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mate, I was going to ask you, and there was something I was I asked somebody, a very well-known amp builder, and I was, I was playing his amp. He sit beside me, and I just looked at him and gone, man, the harmonics. It's all mm-hmm. about the harmonics with your amps. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I kind of turned to him and said, what are harmonics, mate? I, and he, he was like, hmm. off camera? I don't actually <laughs> know. <laughs> he, 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 I think I kind of stumped him as for a technical explanation. And I, I did look it up afterwards and went, but I just stumped him with that. And it's something that people talk about. It's overtones um, mm. we're talking. Yep. And I think that really is the difference, one of the differences between real valve amps and mm. modelers. They just, those harmonics, which are just so musical on a, a real amp, mm. Um, on a modeler, it's just fuzz. It's just fuzz. Yep. Why is that? Do you think there's just something about tubes? Absolutely. You will the never randomness? A, is it the fact that it's random? Uh, I wouldn't say completely random. Um, it's all in the design of the actual grids within the tube. Um, there's a lot of design that goes into that. And you, if you look, sometimes you'll, you'll pick up the Chinese valves because it'll be made totally different. It might say the same brand on the outside doesn't necessarily mean it's the same on the inside. Um, but yes, the harmonics with a, a valve, you will always get a, as far as signal to noise ratio, it will beat silicon chips any day because there is no um, what's called a PN junction between the two materials that make a transistor or a MOSFET. With a, a, a valve, it's pure electron emission. There is nothing in between. It's just vacuum. So it'll always, you'll always get the rich harmonics out of valves um, and the great signal-to-noise ratio compared to silicon chip integrated circuits, MOSFETs, JFETs, all that sort of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, the, the harmonics themselves, um, if you think of just um, like flutes put out a sine wave, trumpets put out a saw, sawtooth, uh, sawtooth wave, and strings will put out square waves because strings are really rich in all sorts of sounds. So the, you've got the, the, the center frequency, say it's 8 kilohertz, you might have 4 kilohertz either side. So you've got 8 plus 4, 8 minus 4. Then you've got 8 plus 4 plus whatever on top of that. So you end up with a nice rich curve as far as the sounds multiplied and, oh sorry, added and subtracted from each other to get that richness. And there is no degradation within it when it's a valve. Aha, uh-huh. mate. I, I got to say, like a lot of people have been going towards using modelers, entering rigs and stuff. And it, and mm-hmm. I can tell at the front. I've been to certain festivals. I went to the Blues Fest a couple of years back, and they had a a, a Jimi Hendrix thing called Experience Hendrix, and they had all these great guitar players from around Australia up there. And there was one guy that I'm friends with on Facebook, big session player from, from Sydney. And he was raving for months about how he had sold all his uh, valve heads and he was just using the Axe effects now and how fantastic, how it replaces it. And I was sitting there thinking, I wonder how he's going to go. I've been down this road. Has he actually played, mm-hmm. used it in, in playing with a band or um, uh, actually recording or something? It's one thing when you're sitting there playing it. Yeah, that sounds good. It just doesn't mm, sit mm. in the mix right. When mm. I actually saw the concert, mm. it was, I just was like, oh man, no, nah, yeah, that's, there's no separation. You, 
you should be loud yep. enough. I can actually hear you, but I can't make out what you're playing. There's no mm-hmm. separation mm-hmm. for the other instruments. If I was mm-hmm. to turn you up so I could hear that, just yeah, you're drowning out everything else, and that's the big thing mm-hmm. I found. Yeah, and it was very noticeable. Um, and as well, Soundwave. I went years ago. All these bands playing, and I, I knew who was using Kemper, who was using Axe Effects. Mm. Allison Chains came on, and Jerry has a signature um, head by Friedman, and oh my god, um, it was quite literally like, um, how do I base, explain it? Uh, I visualize sound a lot, and I, I talk in visual things. And to me, mm-hmm. when I'm hearing a good tube amp that breaks up just right it's it's almost like you're looking in someone's mouth and you see that little dangly bit at the back at the back oh, and yeah, a good yeah, yeah. tube amp yeah, i'm seeing that little bit there 3d yep. sitting out in front of the speaker and going and yep. that's just the breakup and what gives everything its individual tone yeah modelers don't even come close to that if you know what yep. you're listening yeah yeah yep. convenient Thanks to train here yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah. um Folks, any more questions there? Let me see. Um, Jason Verkirk. I haven't seen Jason in years. How are you doing, Jace? Um, so do you guys not rate the Kemper? Mate, I, I was one of the first guys touring our, in Australia with a Kemper, and I loved it. Um, it became a joke. I was touring with the Queen show where uh, at Soundcheck, I'd get up there, play a few chords, and somebody would run to the stage, and we all just knew. It was going to be the same question. What the hell are you playing through? It's called a Kemper. Blah, blah, blah. Um, why did I sell it? It has a sound. Um, there was a group I did a record for who had produced stuff for before using their amps. They'd see me play live and they were like, dude, that thing you're playing through, we're just going to record this album on our own. DI, can you reamp it through that? So I did. It has a sound. We talked about how the harmonics on a good amp as opposed to a modeler, which is just fuzz. Mm. That f- mm. that fuzz in that sound. That band had three guitar players, all who double tracked. Yep. Each layer, it just became this unusable, zzz, mm. and it wasn't mm. that harmonically rich. Oh my god, listen to the overtones. It was like, what the hell is that noise in the way of what I'm trying to listen to? Yep. Um, so, Jason, to answer your question, uh, I totally do rate the Kemper. Um. And it's good for one-off parts here and there. Solos in particular, if you want to be laying those down and, and not um, annoy the crap out of your, your neighbours because you crank that amp and you're playing the same thing over and over trying to get that perfect take. It's great for that. Would I use it again in a situation where I'm trying to do a whole album with it? Fuck no. <laughs> I hope that, that answers your question. I'd love to get another one. I ended up selling it to um, get a, a Friedman. Um because I'm one of these guys who's not very rich and I have to sell a piece of gear to buy another one. So that's what I did. And um, yeah, again, there's a few things out there. I went from using that to using my iPad rig, bias effects on an iPad. Did it sound $3,000 different to use a $20 app? No, it did not. Um, in fact, it sounded almost identical. People come up going, man, you're camper. And I'm like, oh, I sold it and using an iPad. It still sounds good. That's how I hit it. That's how I hit it. <laughs> so there's a bit too much emphasis on gear there's to a point but then you know there's the touch there's the touch yep. yeah yeah i agree yeah so i uh, hope that answers your question there jason just on on the camper uh anybody else got any other questions before i wrap things up with paul because time does fly doesn't it, paul i told you absolutely yep first one <laughs> yeah yeah been an hour and a half of chatting there um uh, no it doesn't look like it 
Paul, want to say thank you very much for your time. I'm sure as soon as I end this broadcast, I'm going to end up with a million questions that I can... Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, as someone just said, I've got to stop watching those Anderson skies. Yeah, I wouldn't watch them. Paul, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much again, mate. And You're very welcome, folks, Rick. thanks for tuning in. Um, I've got who have I got this Thursday? Thursday, ten a.m. Ernie Taylor from ET Guitars is, is joining me, so we'll pick his brains about some multi-scale instruments. So, from Paul and I, see you later, folks. I'm just making sure I got the right end screen. There it is, right there. Goodbye. <laughs>